Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Amen. Give him some praise one more time, church. Man, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. And you have your Bibles, if you would, open with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And we're just going to start in chapter 1 there. And um, if, you were, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we, we talked about Joseph uh, from the book of Genesis. And we talked about how in his patience and perseverance, even in the midst of being sold as a slave by his brothers and being falsely accused and thrown into prison and being forgotten about for two years while he was there. But we saw how God worked through all of that. And he ended up getting Joseph in front of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, at the right time. And he got elevated to the second highest position in the kingdom. And from that position, Joseph was able to save his family and an entire nation of Israel from a severe famine. And then after getting reunited with his family, Pharaoh tells Joseph to bring his his whole extended family out to Egypt. He gives the, the, the people of Israel this huge portion of land, and there they continue to grow and they continue to flourish. And then eventually Joseph dies, and eventually a new king arises in Egypt that didn't remember Joseph. And he doesn't remember all the good things that Joseph did for his people. He just sees these growing, flourishing Israelites as a threat to his kingdom and his reign. So he orders that all of the male baby Israelites be killed. And one of the children to escape this mass genocide was Moses, who was actually taken into the palace. And God eventually raises him up and and sends him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt there towards the land that he had promised to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. And whenever they get close to that, Moses, he sends 12 spies in to scout it out. Two of them, uh, Joshua and Caleb, they say, man, this land is awesome. God's given it to us. Let's go take it. And the other 10 spies say, no way. These people that are on that land, they are way too big. They're way too scary. They'll squash us like bugs. We're all going to die. So everybody starts freaking out. They decide they're going to kill Moses and Caleb and Joshua, and they're going to go back to Egypt. But God intervenes. And he doesn't let them kill Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. But instead, he says that this current generation of Israelites will not enter into that promised land. The only two that will be able to enter into the promised land with the children of that generation are Caleb and Joshua. So God makes them wander around the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies off. And now, 470 years after the promise was given to Abraham, Joshua is now about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And God says to him here, Joshua chapter 1, beginning of verse 5, he says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that my Moses, my servant, Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Skip down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever 
you go. So we've been walking through this series called Step by Step, where we've been focusing on each of the individual fruit of the Spirit. And today, as we talk about faithfulness, I want to do it in the context of giving an overview of Joshua's story. And I want to speak from the subject of what it takes to live by faith. Would you pray with me one more time? We'll get into this a little bit further. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you for moments like this where we can gather as a community around your word. And Father, I pray right now in these moments, all the distractions and the stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I pray you open up our hearts. I pray you open up our minds and our souls to receive from you today. I pray that um, through this message, you would give us an increase of faith. I pray your Holy Spirit stir me up and fill me up because I know without the power of your spirit, without your truth, without your love, I can't say anything of any significance or importance. So have your way in this moment. I pray you be glorified. Thank you for who you are and thank you for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. How many of you like amusement parks? Show of hands. Show of hands for my amusement park people. Yeah. See, I have a love-hate relationship with amusement parks, and mainly because I hate lines. I cannot stand standing in a line. You know, like, I want to do what I show up to do when I show up to do it, right? Especially if I've paid to do it, right? Can anybody relate to that? Now, it's so frustrating whenever you can see where you're trying to get to, but there's nothing you can do to speed up the process of getting there where you're trying to go. One of the worst times this ever happened to me um, was when a few years ago, Rachel and I, we were with a group of friends, and we took a trip up to Hershey, Pennsylvania for a wedding. Some friends were getting married. And we got an awesome Airbnb right downtown in Hershey, and this is kind of old stomping grounds for me. I spent the majority of my childhood in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and so I'm kind of excited to show all my friends around, and we could see Hershey Park from our Airbnb. Now, when you're ever you're in Hershey, PA, there's two things you got to do. You got to go to the Hershey Chocolate Factory, and you have to go to Hershey Park and ride the Great Bear. That's just what you do. And we're so close, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. We're not going to have to fight traffic. We're not going to have to pay for parking. We can just walk to the park because it's that close. Now, I'm pretty sure Rachel said to me, are you sure you want to walk? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Duh, it's a no-brainer. You know, it's right there. We're going to save money. We're going to close all the rings on our watch, praise God, right? We're going to get our exercise and get all of our steps in. Like, it's a no-brainer. So the next day we get up, we, we start walking over to the park, and we get to the portion of the park that we could see from our Airbnb, and we're at a fence. I didn't uh, think to look up exactly where the entrance was. But we're at this fence. I, I look to my left. I see uh, nothing but construction. I look to my right, and I see a flow of traffic. So I'm like, all right, we're going right. Now, I could have looked it up at that point. But my dad always said the most important thing about making decisions is that you make one. That's really good advice. However, in this instance, I made the wrong decision. So here, here's a map of Hershey Park right here. Okay, Here's the entrance down there at the bottom. Can I get the next slide, Matt? Up here, this arrow, this is where we walked up to the fence. So if we would have gone left, we'd have been at the entrance in about five to ten minutes. Instead, next slide, we decided to go that way. And for some reason, Hershey Park only has one entrance into the park. So next slide, we ended up walking almost two hours around this 161-acre amusement park. And the longer we walked, the more my blood boiled. 
Because I'd see people on the other side of the fence laughing, cutting up, having a good time, riding the rides, just rubbing it in, wanting to smack a funnel cake out of people's hands the entire time. I'm walking around this park. And we finally, we get to the entrance. We, we, we really thought we were going to get there about 3 o'clock. That was our plan, get there about 3 p.m. We didn't get to the park till a little after 5 p.m. And I get up to the counter. I'm exhausted. I'm frustrated. And I'm like, two tickets, please. And I hand her my card. And she says, I'm sorry, sir. We're not selling day passes anymore. And right before Rachel's left, right before I lose my ever-living mind, she says, we have sunset passes now, and they're half price. And she gives me change. I'm like, all right, this is awesome. I like saving money. I turn to everybody else. Like, see, guys, aren't you glad we took the wrong, the wrong way? They say, no, we hate you. Shut up and get your tickets so we can get in. <laughs> and so... We get in the park, we start walking around, and the, the longer we walk around the park, the more we realize that everybody else is leaving, you know? Like, they've been there all day long. They're hungry, the kids are cranky, they've been there since 8, 9 in the morning, they're ready to go get some dinner and go back to the hotel or wherever and just be done for the day. So everybody else is leaving, so now we're going from ride to ride, attraction to attraction, even in the zoo park, and there's no lines. I love it when there is no lines. And we got to experience everything within this park within just a fraction of the time that the other people have spent all day fighting the crowds trying to experience. Now, don't get me wrong. The walk was torturous. I'm pretty sure I ruined a pair of shoes on that walk. I was very angry. It was very frustrating. But because of the torturous walk, we actually ended up having a much better park experience than we thought we were going to have. And I share that with you today because I think that's also a good picture of what it looks like to walk by faith sometimes. Because a lot of times the walk is very frustrating. And almost 99% of the time, whenever you walk by faith, what you expect to happen and the timeline you expect it to happen in probably isn't going to happen, <laughs> you know? If I'm going to be honest, living by faith can be very frustrating at times. And one of the reasons why it's so frustrating is for our first point for today is that faith makes you wait. You know, we've seen it throughout the scriptures so far. If you look back throughout the book of Genesis, Abraham, he waited 25 years before his promised son was born. Jacob had to wait 14 years to get the wife that he actually wanted. Joseph waited 22 years to be reunited with his family and fulfill his purpose. And now Joshua, who we're talking about today, he had been working as Moses' right-hand man for 38 years before he assumed leadership. Now, here's where many people go wrong. We'll talk about this, this topic, and we'll bring up these stories, and then we'll hear someone say, you know what, if you just continue to walk by faith, your time will come. And God will elevate you to a position of high leadership that he's prepared for you from the beginning of the world. Now, that sounds good. And it might get people excited. You might get an applause, but it's actually horrible theology. Because none of this is ever about a man getting elevated to a position. This is about God providing for his people. See, make no mistake, Joshua is not the hero of this story. God is. Abraham and Joseph were not the heroes of their stories. God was. God was the one who allowed a hundred-year-old man to become the father of millions. 
God was the one who put Joseph in the palace and saved an entire race. And God was the one who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and God was the one who was going to bring them into the promised land. But they had to wait on it. And mainly, faith makes us wait because we have a tendency to make everything about ourselves. It's about me getting to the next level. It's about me assuming leadership. It's about me living out my destiny. But coming to faith is coming to the understanding that you are not the hero of your own story. You can never be the fulfillment of your own life, which is why Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to become the least. If you want to be first, you need to put yourself last. He says the highest position we should strive to obtain in this life is that of a servant. See, so often we're told to wait on the Lord because if I wait on him, then there's no confusing who's actually in charge. I need to come to the understanding that I'm not the captain of my own ship. I am not the hero in my story. I am nothing but hopeless and broken and selfish without him. So I need to get out of God's way from time to time and just take my cue from him. Because only with him do I have hope. Do I have healing? Do I have purpose? Do I have actual direction in my life? And one of the reasons why faith makes you wait is because for our second point for today is that faith teaches you to follow. You see, back in Genesis, whenever Moses, or back in Exodus, whenever God told Moses to lead the people to the land that he promised to Abraham, Moses, he tells God, look, I'm only going if you're going. He says in Exodus 33, 15, if your presence will not go with me, don't even move us from the place that we are right now. Moses had come to the understanding that the only way he could effectively lead these people was by following God himself. And Joshua as he was Moses' right-hand man for almost four decades, he didn't just sit around and wait for his time of leadership to come. No, he actively served. He was serving Moses. He was serving the people because he was actively, ultimately, he was serving God. Whenever Moses needed someone to go to battle against Amalek, he sent Joshua to lead them. Whenever Moses would go up the mountain to meet with God, Joshua went with him. Whenever Moses would go into the tent of meeting to talk with God face to face, Joshua would guard the door. And the only way Joshua could be equipped for any sort of leadership is because he had first learned how to follow. But now that he had more responsibility, he was going to understand that he needed the presence of God in his life more than he ever did before. This is why in chapter 1, God feels it's necessary to settle Joshua's spirit. He tells them in verses 2 and 3, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Do you see the pattern here? I think God is making it very clear that he is the one that's in charge, and he is the one that's in control. Joshua's going to understand that this isn't about him taking something. This is about God giving something, and he can be confident because God is in control. The only power he has is found in his presence. And he says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Now, why does God tell him to be strong and courageous? Because Joshua by himself is weak and afraid. Because <laughs> I don't know if you understand, but for our next point, faith is scary. You know, I hear a lot of people say that fear is the opposite of faith. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that statement. Because, you see, fear is a feeling. It's a natural feeling that God created. Feelings are never wrong or sinful until you allow those feelings to dictate your life and have control over you. 
What we need to understand is that fear is an indicator. It's not a dictator. And God wants to build your faith in such a way that fear no longer dictates your actions. He wants to build your faith so that feelings no, no longer keep us from walking in obedience. You see, fear is not the opposite of faith because nine times out of ten, faith will be accompanied by the feeling of fear. When God tells you to step out in faith, more often than not, it will scare you to death. This is why God tells Joshua three times in chapter 1. In verses 5 and 6, he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, he says again, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Why does he tell him not to be frightened? Because he's scared. If you were responsible for leading 2 million people, you would be scared yourself. But Joshua may feel fear, but he doesn't have to live in fear. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And there's someone that needs to hear that today. Hey, I probably need to hear that today. Life might be scary. This season might be scary. The thought of living by faith might be terrifying. Well, you're in good company. Because I think every single person in this room who's had a walk of faith has experienced those feelings as well. The Bible is chocked full of stories of individuals who were terrified to take those steps of faith. You might be reading Be Strong and Courageous, and you think, I have no idea how I can do that when I feel nothing but scared, anxious, and stressed out all the time. But faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is looking fear in the face and following God anyway. Because God calls us to scary things. And more often than not, he does that to prove that he's with us. Don't let anyone ever tell you that God will never give you more than you can handle. He will always give you more than you can handle. That's why we need him. (laughs) We need to know that he's in control. He has the power, and we can't do anything without him. Now, the first thing that God has Joshua do is lead these people out to the Jordan River. Because on the other side of the Jordan River was a city, Jericho, this fortified city, had these 40-foot walls that had been impenetrable up to that point. But this whole city was built on the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the Israelites. Now, Jericho strategically built this city right near the Jordan River because it served as another line of defense from invaders, especially at this time. This would not have been a peaceful river they walked up on. Because in verse 15 of chapter 3, it specifies that this was the time of harvest. So at this time of year, Snow from Mount Hermon would have melted and flooded down to the river and made this river 14 feet higher and 100 feet wider than it was normally at other times of the year. And Joshua, he sends these priests leading the people straight towards this rushing, raging river. He sends them, sends them the priests with the Ark of the Covenant ahead of everyone, leading, again, 2 million people, and they can hear the rapids getting louder and louder, and louder, the closer they get. And if I'm Joshua, I'm a little scared. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, this better work. And they step closer and closer to this raging, overflowed river. Questions undoubtedly begin to arise in everyone's heads. As they're following the Ark of the Covenant, the people see the priests. They make their way to the banks of the river. And then the first two priests step in, and nothing happens. And then the next few priests step in, and nothing happens. But the priests just keep going and going. The water gets higher and higher on them. The people have to be thinking, Joshua, what are you doing? These people are going to drown. They're walking to their death. Do something. 
And then the last two priests step their soles of their feet into the water. Then they hear something off in the distance. Nothing seems to be changing, but after a couple of minutes, they notice the, the waters begin to recede a little bit. And then more and more, the waters get lower and lower and lower. Because what happened was once all the priests stepped the soles of their feet into the water, very far away, the waters coming down from the mountain stood up in a heap. And the other waters flowing down from the connecting sea were completely cut off. So the water continued to recede more and more until eventually the people were standing on dry ground. And Joshua 3 verse 17 says, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now I remember God telling Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You remember the parting of the Red Sea before? This is similar. God proves once again that he is in control. He has the power, and his presence will never leave them or forsake them. And that's all well and good. But let's not underestimate that walk towards the river, because that was scary. That's why whenever I hear people say, well, you know, if it's what God wanted me to do, I'd feel at peace about it. I'm like, what? Who told you that? Where do you read that in the Bible? I see him talk about a peace that surpasses all understanding to a people that are experiencing extreme persecution at that time and affliction. Here I see God tell these people to walk towards the flooded, raging river. Why? Because faith is scary. Faith is scary because we don't see the end result. If we could see the end result beforehand, it wouldn't take faith. And the peace normally doesn't come until after you take the step of faith. That's when the peace comes. See, more often than not, see, I think we, we have a problem. Sorry, Matt, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. I think we have a problem in the church sometimes trying to tell people that they need to take a step of faith, right? And we make it seem like when you're taking a step of faith, you should just confidently step up. Hmm. I'm a super Christian taking my step of faith. But you know what taking a step of faith looks like for normal people? It looks like this. I don't know, Lord. I don't know. Say, go ahead. Uh, take the step. I don't know, Lord. That, that looks a little shaky. We're supposed to build our foundation on the rock, not the sinking sand, praise God. Don't you quote scripture at me. So I told you take the step of faith. Take the step. All right. No, Lord, I got to pray about this a little bit. He said, you've already prayed about this. I've told you to take the step. Take the step. He's like, no, what? Great is thy faithful. I know I'm faithful, right? Take this step. All right. All right. I did it. All right. Hey, this, is, this ain't too bad. View's up here. Yeah, I got, see, God had told you I'd do it. Look at all you people. You need to be taking your steps of faith, right? And right when we feel good, that's when we turn into the kid by the edge of the pool because God said, all right, now it's take, now time to take another one. Take the step. Come on, jump. I don't know, Lord. That water's cold. Like, it goes through all again. You would think when he tells us to take the next step, we'd be more confident the next time, right? Because we saw how faithful he was before, but probably not. It's probably going to be scary all over again. Man, I remember whenever I was in my last semester of college, right? I went to North Greenville University, and I, I, was I was almost graduating with a biblical studies degree with a focus on youth ministry. I really felt a uh, pull towards pursuing a career in ministry. So um, 
During my last semester, I was applying for youth pastor positions all over uh, Greenville, South Carolina, right? everywhere I could look. I, I don't know how many resumes, how many meetings I had, but none of the churches would look at me because I wasn't married and I didn't have a seminary degree. Now, I had a biblical studies degree. I, would, I didn't have any means to go into more student loan debt to get another shiny piece of paper to do the same exact thing, okay? I just said, if God wanted me to go to seminary, he was going to pay for it, right? So um, that whole semester, the closer I'm getting to graduation, it's, it was terrifying, you know? Like, I was involuntarily throwing up about four or five times a day because my body couldn't handle the stress. It wasn't used to it. And this happens all the way. And then I graduate, still can't find a position, still can't find a job. I find myself bagging groceries at Bilo with 16-year-olds. Talk about getting humbled, right? I think I made $6,000 my first year out of college. <laughs> um, but I, I kept pursuing, I kept putting around. And then finally, there was this uh, uh, small portable church in Shelby, North Carolina that said, hey, we have the, the uh, youth pastor position. We'd like to offer it for it to you. And they gave me a combined salary of $0 a year <laughs> to, to move out there. But I took the step of faith. The Lord affirmed it. I took the step of faith. I went out there, lived in a pool house for a little while, got a few odd jobs. Uh, uh, when I first moved out there, I was working the YMCA camp counseling with my man Chavis Sims. Chavis isn't here today. He had uh, uh, surgery on his patella, so I'll be praying for him for a quick recovery. But me and Chavis, we were working together as camp counselors at the YMCA for a minimum wage. And God was faithful. You know, like I worked a few odd jobs, and then about two and a half years later, that was when we became Hope Community Church, and then they brought me on full time, and then things just got better. God took care of me every single step of the way. I got a full-time salary. Shortly after that, I bought a house. Then, then I got a wife, you know. Like, things were good. We were comfortable. <laughs> and then Rachel and I start feeling that pull toward, toward church planning, like it's time to leave. And, you know, like... You would think we'd go into that, like, with full confidence, right? It was a little scary. My mortgage was $650 a month where I was. You know, that's kind of that's hard to give up right there. And it was a new venture. And, um, man, I remember one point, like, the Lord's, like, he kind of made it obvious that he was blessing us coming to Hickory. And so Rachel and I started going through the house hunt process and, um, I remember one time I was sitting in staff meeting, and Rachel, she just sends me, like, just like a really menial text, right? There's something really simple about the house hunting process. And I don't know what happened, but it triggered something. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and my vision starts going in and out. You know, my heart starts going 1,000 miles an hour. Like, my, my breath gets real short. And I'm sitting there having my first panic attack I've ever experienced in the middle of staff meeting. And I just have to sit there and just wait out the meeting. And finally, when it's over, I just go, like, sit on the floor of Cassie Dill's office while she calms me down and tries to bring me through. Like, faith is always scary. There's always scary aspects to it. But again, he was faithful. He got us a house against all odds. And then the very week we move in, we find out Fletcher's coming. That's a whole new level of scary there, right? Now, I don't know exactly where you are on your faith journey. I don't know what steps of faith God has called you to take or that you've already taken. No, he's, but I do know he's either going to call you to one, he's already called you to one, or it's time to call you to the next one. <laughs> and every time he calls you to the, take that step of faith, it's going to be scary. <laughs> and if, it, if it's not scary, it might not be God <laughs> there. But a lot of times, faith is not only scary, it's also very confusing. A lot of times God calls us to things that makes you go, 
what? <laughs> right? See, now that God had brought the Israelites across the Jordan, next on the list was to get the people off the land that God had promised to Abraham. Chapter 6 starts off explaining that the people of Jericho were shut up in the walls of their fortified city because they knew the Israelites were coming. They had heard the stories about the ten plagues and God parting the Red Sea. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. He's thinking, yeah, here we go. It's time to battle. This is what I know how to do. And then God says, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. That's right. Sounds like an intimidation tactic. Then thus you shall do for six days, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. Like, really? That's our battle plan here? They're thinking, God, this isn't the way battles normally go here, Lord. But, you know, God seems to have a pattern of not really having a pattern. Have you noticed this? You, know, you even see it in, in the Israelites passing the, the Red Sea and the Jordan River, right? Whenever Moses was leading the people of Israel across the Red Sea, he just stood up on the banks, raised up his staff, and boom, waters parted, right? Dramatic fashion. But now the Israelites are in a similar situation. They need to cross this sea again on dry land, and, but this time the priests have to step all the way in, and then eventually the waters receded, and it was on dry ground. Same result but a much different process. You know, Moses ran into this um, earlier on. In Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites are wandering around the wilderness. They don't have anything to drink. There's a rock there. God tells them to strike the rock with a staff. Water comes out. The people drink. Now, in Numbers chapter 20, he finds himself in a similar situation. Out in the desert, nothing to drink. There's a rock. This time, God tells them, speak to the rock. But Moses says, nah, I, don't, I don't know. Last time it worked whenever I hit it with the stick. So I'm going to do that instead. And because of that disobedience, he wasn't able to enter the promised land with the rest of the Israelites. Now, we even see it in Jesus' miracles, right? Throughout the New Testament, you look, very rarely you ever see Jesus do the same miracle the same way twice. We, we see him heal people in all kinds of different crazy ways. We see him heal people with a touch. We see him heal people with a word. We see him heal people right in front of him. We see him heal people a long way off. We see him spit in the ground, make mud with his hands, and rub it on someone's eyes for them to get healed, right? Jesus does it all kinds of different crazy ways, but I think he was very intentional about that because I think he knew that we would read these accounts and try to develop some sort of system for it, right? But you can't put a system on God. There's nothing we can do to manufacture his movements. We just have to follow him in faith and obedience because Remember, God's a creator. He's not a duplicator. And Joshua, in his previous battles, he's used to being on the front lines. He's an experienced warrior. But Joshua needed to know that his experience, his skill, his strength was not what was going to bring him victory. Only obedience and faith would. So Joshua is ready for his first battle as the named leader to prove himself. He's got all his warriors around. They get all geared up for battle. They're ready to fight. And God says, nah, just walk around the city one time. And I think less about Joshua here and more about the people who are following him. Now, he's got all these other soldiers who get all geared up, they get hyped up. They have to get in that mental space ready and prepared for hand-to-hand -hand combat. And then they get there and they just walk around the city one time. And this would not have been a long walk. Jericho is only about 10 acres in diameter. And then they go home to the wives. The wives are like, oh, I'm so happy you're still alive. Are you okay? How many men did we lose? He said, none. We just walked around the city. Yeah, it was like took a vision trip, I guess, right? And then day two, they get all geared up, they head out to battle, and they do the same thing again, just walk around the city. And then day three, 
and day four and day five and day six. And it's not like they're seeing any progress any of these days. It's not like they're seeing the walls shake a little bit when they walk or bricks being jarred loose. All they do is continue to see 40-foot-plus impenetrable walls. And I'm not sure what they were thinking, but if it were me, I'd probably get a little bit more discouraged every single day because I'm not seeing progress. I don't see a way in. The longer I walk around these walls, the more awesome and intimidating they seem. But Hebrews 11.30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been circled for seven days. And this faith was confusing. This faith was probably got scarier every day. This faith was definitely making them wait. But I love that God was intentional about making them wait seven days. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. Because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. And God wanted their complete devotion, their complete faith and trust. And he also wanted to show that he was completely in control. And I also love that God tells them to let out a shout before the walls fell. In verse 16 and 20, it says, At the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As, as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the walls fell down flat. I love that because this term, shout, is the same exact term that's used in the book of Psalms whenever we're told to give a shout of praise. Because we don't just praise in response to an outcome. We shout in praise because even when I'm scared and even when I'm confused, I know that he is still good, he is still God, and he is still in control. There's a lot of times, you know what faith looks like too? Looks like walking in a circle. How many times you walk in faith, you feel like you're just in a holding pattern? And you're like, all right, God, I'm here. What am I supposed to be doing? I know you brought me here for a reason, Lord. I don't see it right now. And I'm a little confused. I, what I expected to happen isn't actually happening right now. But you know what? I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you're working all things out for my good and your glory. So even though I'm confused and I don't see it right now, I'm going to praise you because I know who you are and I know what you've promised. And you're probably going to look crazy to a lot of people. <laughs> but one theologian once said, faith is not an irresponsible step into the unknown. No, no, no. It's a reasonable obedience to the will and word of a sovereign, almighty God. See, faith is saying, I know God is sovereign. I know he, God is almighty, so I'm going to step in faith, and I'm going to give a shout of praise even in the midst of my struggles, even in the midst of my addiction, even in the midst of my family problems, even in the midst of my confusion. And the more that I praise, the more things get put into perspective, and then the less I live in fear and the more God's glory is shown in my life. See, a step of faith, always remember this, a step of faith will never make sense until you take it. If it made sense, it wouldn't take faith. But you still have to choose to take the step. Because faith may be scary. It may be confusing. It may make you wait. But at the end of the day, for our last point today, faith is a choice. It's an everyday choice. These soldiers, they had to make the choice every day for seven days to walk around the city. And you know, no matter what walk of life you come from, what background you have, we can all admit that at one point or another, we've, we've felt like something is missing. We've all tried to fill a void in our lives. Substances, success, religion, so many other ways. But eventually we get to the point where we realize that none of that works. We're still empty. We're still lacking. Because what we're searching for really is purpose. 
We're searching for meaning to understand why we're on this planet. Why are we here? Where are we going? What are we supposed to do? And all of those answers, I firmly believe with all of my being, are found in the God who created you. One who formed you before, who knew you before he formed you in the womb. Who made you for a specific purpose. Only the one who created life can give purpose to that life. And the only way, I truly believe, the only way to truly know who you are is to know who your maker is, the one whose image you were created in. But the choice is yours. Even at creation, God never forced anyone to follow him or to love him. Now, a lot of people think God set Adam and Eve up for failure whenever he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the garden. But no, he didn't. He set them up for success. How many hundreds, how many thousands of trees could they eat the fruit from? But God says, Just this one. Don't eat from this one. Why? Because he needed them to have an opportunity to choose him, to trust him, because there's no love without a choice. God's not after a group of mindless subordinates. He's after a loving relationship with sons and daughters, which is why Joshua comes before the people after the promised land had been settled. And he says in chapter 24, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. And then he famously says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then all the people that get all hyped up and they say, oh, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it's the Lord who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. He's our God. And in verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your sins or your transgressions. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> it's like the worst hype speech of all time. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the coach getting the players in the locker room at halftime. He's like, you know what, gentlemen? These guys are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, they're far more talented. So we're definitely going to lose by 40. So just get out there and try not to embarrass me too much. (laughs) That's what this feels like. But you know, Joshua, he wasn't actually talking to these exact people right in front of him. Because we actually see from Scripture that this generation actually did serve the Lord faithfully. But he knew eventually their people would forget the Lord and serve other gods again. And then God would have to exile them. He'd have to rescue them from captivity again. And they would repent and they would serve him. And then they would forget him again and serve other gods. And the cycle would go round and round and round. You know, almost every single book in the Old Testament ends on a very depressing note. Because the law, the promised land, the kings, the judges, the prophets, they weren't where the hope was. Now, the true hope would enter into the world about 1,300 years later in the true and better Joshua. You see, the Hebrew name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. And when translated into the Greek, the language of the New Testament, that's where we get the name Jesus. And you know, Jesus, he would go step the soles of his feet in the Jordan River as well. This time the waters wouldn't part. This time the heavens would open up and the Holy Spirit would descend on him like a dove. And he would hear the Father say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And just like Joshua led us, shout at the walls of Jericho, Mark 15, 37 says that Jesus cried out with a loud shout on the cross. 
And this time, just like the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, this time the temple veil will come tumbling down, signifying there is no longer any separation between man and God that sin had created. Jesus bridged that gap. So now anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So now that anyone has the freedom to choose this day who you will serve. Just like Joshua told the people, we don't have the capacity within us to faithfully and completely serve him. That's why we need grace. That's why we need mercies that are new every single morning. That's why we need a hero. That's why we need a savior. And that's why Jesus came. To do for us what we could never do for ourselves. To fight the battles that we could never win. To give us the life that we were created to live. And all we have to do is choose him. What does it look like to live by faith? It's choosing him every single day, choosing to remember the cross, choosing his ways over my ways, choosing to wait on him even when it's scary, even when it's confusing, choosing to follow him, choosing to make him Lord of every single area of my life. Because like we said before, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So with every head bowed and every eye closed here in this moment, just for a moment of privacy, I want to ask you, Are there any areas of your walk of faith where you're a bit hesitant? (laughs) What steps of faith is God calling you to take right now? It may not be a huge life career change or anything like that, but he might be wanting you to take a step of faith at work, praying with or sharing your faith with a coworker. He might be telling you to take a step of faith with your finances, support someone like El. He might be calling you to overseas missions. God might be calling you to serve in some capacity in the local school. God might be calling you just to live out your faith a little bit more boldly. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment, your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the steps of faith that you want us to take, Father. Whatever areas or steps of faith that maybe we've been fighting you or struggling with you on or we've been pushing down, Father, I pray that that calling would come to the surface of our minds right now. Father, I pray that we would step out. We may not step out boldly. We may not step out confidently, Father, but I pray we would take this step. I pray, and I thank you so much that you were right there to hold our hand the entire time. Thank you for being such a good father. (laughs) Thank you that we can trust you. And Father, in our finite human childlike minds, I pray for childlike faith in this room. I pray that you would grant us and gift us with the faith of a child. Trusting our father. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for who you are and who we get to be in you. We love you. Powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand and worship? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.